0: think when we don't remember history we tend to wrongly define the problems so the solutions don't really meet this like need and I get it there's shame when it comes to remembering what we've done in the past this is where it's like all right if anybody should be able to remember the past and to work through that shame and to show people what can take place like with shame that's been dealt with left at the foot of the cross, our pasts aren't disqualifiers from us being able to do what we need to do. They're actually the very platform that God wants to use, and that's where to disremember our history feels like we're trying to move forward, but we're actually cutting our legs from underneath us.
1: Life is a journey, and most of it is spent in the in-between, in the middle places. But every once in a while, you find yourself on the other side of something.
2: These are the stories we are telling here. We believe that stories change the world, and we hope that when you hear stories of lives changed, obstacles overcome, lives broken, lives mended, and hope found, you'll actually see yourself in their stories.
1: Now more than ever, we need each other, and we need each other's stories. This is... On The Other Side. Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of On The Other Side. I'm your host, Jamie.
2: And I'm your other host, Aaron.
1: You guys, we have a great show for you today. Full disclosure, we have been wanting to talk to this guy since season one. In fact, I think we tried to get him on season one. It wasn't good timing, and I think this is perfect timing for today's show.
2: We want to introduce you to our friend, John O. John is a really good friend of mine. We've had the opportunity to do a lot of ministry together throughout the years, and he is a man that I just deeply respect. He's been helpful in our own church, the Austin Stone in Austin, Texas, and has a unique voice and a unique experience. John is a native of Houston, Texas. He was born into a Nigerian home where the gospel was cherished deeply and modeled excellently. And before we actually introduce you to John, I think it's important that you have a little bit of the backstory so you can understand the context of where John's coming from. John, after graduating from college, studied at Dallas Theological Seminary. He served at churches in both Texas and Georgia, and in 2015, moved into the historic West End to help plant Cornerstone Church with his best friends. And he planted Cornerstone with the Southern Baptist Convention. And John, as you'll hear in this interview, he began to struggle with the practices, ideologies, political alignments, and a lot of issues concerning race within the Southern Baptist Convention. And those situations and those struggles actually became such a big deal in John's life and his church's life that in 2020, he made the decision to untangle himself from the Southern Baptist Convention and to remove his church from being affiliated with the organization. As you can imagine, this was a difficult decision for John and his church to make and had a lot of implications for how his life would look and how ministry would look.
1: In July of 2020, John published an article called Four Reasons. He walks through the four specific reasons that led him to this decision, of untangling himself from the southern baptist convention and aaron and i read that article last summer and knew this is what we want to talk to john o about we want to talk to him about what it's like to be on the other side of the sbc
2: we are really excited to dive into this conversation today we are with one of our good friends john o who is a man that i just personally love and deeply respect and we've had we've had some opportunities to do ministry together Where I've been leading worship and you have been preaching and John, man, we're just so, so thankful and so glad to have you on the show today.
0: Oh, thank you, brother. Man, it's an honor, man. I'm glad to be here with y'all. Yeah,
2: I told Jamie, I I was like, man, I wish we were like doing this one live so we could take you around Austin and show you cool stuff. But you got
0: Atlanta. Right. Yeah. yeah, But so contrary to popular belief, the food scene in Atlanta is not very great. Oh, man.
1: No, Well yeah. it is in Austin. So, you yeah.
0: Know. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. And, and
2: John, right before this interview, told us that he's actually planning a trip to Austin later on this year. So we will be oh, yeah. throwing down in, in Austin, Texas, man. No. Hey, start out by giving, giving our listeners just a little, little glimpse about who you are, what you do, and then we'll kind of get into the story that we're telling today. But I'd love just to uh, let you just tell us who you are.
0: Yeah. So my name is John Anwachequa. I am I'm a guy that just like wears a, a bunch of hats right now. I feel like I got the privilege to be on a bunch of good teams, right? The best team is me and my wife. We've been married fourteen years. We got a four year old daughter. That's fantastic. So we live in a place called the Historic West End in Atlanta. And I'm a part of a team that started a church here in the West End so I hmm. pastor a church here in the West End. I'm also a part of a team that started a coffee company here in the West End, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. four blocks from the church, five blocks from my house. And so I get to be a yeah, pastor, a business owner, entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Just got done with another book writer and I'm a part of another great team that helps to fund and resource churches being started in neglected black and brown communities. So a group of folks called the Cree Collective. And so, yeah, I feel like I just get to be a great teammate on a bunch of good teams and I'm an avid endorsement. So I like being inside. So if <laughs> yeah. Have all those things. Then that's- Avid endorsement.
2: Yeah, yeah. I like that. I haven't heard that before, but that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so basically you're saying you, you don't really have much going on in your life right now. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it's very boring. That's what you're saying, huh?
0: Yeah, no, it, uh, yeah. I, I think so many times when people do a bunch of things, they feel like, they're like, man, I'm juggling so much. And there's part of it where I feel like like I can't juggle, right? So yeah. it's this type of thing where I found if you actually get a bunch of folks, mm. you don't juggle, right? You just play. Yeah.
2: Match,
0: right? If you're by yourself, the ball's in the air, the balls are in your hands or they hit the ground. But if you're with a whole team of folks, it's like, nah, the ball's in my hand, or it's in your hand or your hand or your hand or your hand, and so
2: mm.
0: it, the more the merrier. I love it. That's I good. It. That's good, man.
2: Well, you know, there's a lot to your story and you recently, you know, found yourself on the other side of something pretty significant in your life. In July nine of two thousand twenty, you made the difficult decision that you wrestled through for a while about actually stepping out of the Southern Baptist Convention. You've been a pastor at a Southern Baptist church uh, for a, a while and came to the conclusion that God was kind of taking you in a different direction, a different destination. And we just want to unpack that a little bit and, and learn from you and hear what that journey has been like. You you wrote an article on the front porch that I thought was, man, just so good, no. like so well thought out, beautifully articulated. And you know one, one part that stuck out to me, you said, it has become clear to me that the destination that I desire to reach the correction of racial injustices and socioeconomic inequalities that plague our country is an island. And the fact of the matter is you can't drive a bus to Puerto Rico. Mm. I've realized the futility of some of my efforts in the denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention. Not because the SBC isn't a place full of good-hearted people, there are plenty. I've come to the conclusion that the Southern Baptist Convention is the wrong vehicle to address these issues our world is so desperately trying to resolve. Man, I heard in that statement so much grace, but then also so much truth. And can you tell us a little bit about just your journey of wrestling through that decision and what that what that was like for you personally?
0: Yeah. yeah. So I've I've been an athlete my whole life and I'm the son of immigrant parents. Right. That came to the States 50 years ago and really, really like just worked hard. And so one thing that's been instilled in us is, you know, you don't quit. You don't give up. And so part of that was why we stayed around for so long, right? like i'm an I'm an optimist, mm-hmm. right? So I do see the best in things and see yeah. glimmers of hope and want to give first, second, third, fourth chances. And it was the type of thing where for years, right? We gathered with a bunch of people that really had a heart to see things change. and and at the end of the day, right? i I don't want to go back, right? I'm glad that we're getting a chance to sit down and do this a year later. Because there is a sense of sobriety where I can look back and say, oh, no, there were great things that took place. There was Mm. lots of change. There were encouraging signposts that made me feel like, no, listen, like progress is being made, right? So if you think of the SBC where I was a decade ago Mm. and you mark it with like the pencil on a doorpost, Mm -hmm. the way that you do when kids grow, yeah, I can look back and say, oh, no, 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 look, look, look there has been change the problem was i think maybe at the beginning i was expecting too little right so i was caught up in you know the solution is diversity and inclusion and mm-hmm. more seats at at the table and as time went on i started to realize wait 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 all right all this talk about Diversity is not what we're after. Like, we're Mm. after solidarity. Like, I want to see things change for the communities that I'm a part of, right? So, we started a church in the historic West End. And once again, right, to my own shame, when I moved in here, I remember writing my prospectus to. Raise funds for the church plant, yeah. And one of the things that I put right is I just put yeah, like things like the prosperity gospel have ravaged the southwest side of ATL and this because it was just like that was just the stream that I was in. And Mm -hmm. then time goes on, and you learn history and the nuances of all of what went involved. Then like you step back and say, oh no no wait a minute, it wasn't prosperity gospel churches that ravaged historic west end 30310 mm. right it was segregation it was white flight it was jim crow it mm. was people that claimed to be christians right mm. partly not completely people that claimed to be christians um advocating for segregation mm-hmm. like like things like that and so I started to, the more and more time that I just spent here in the actual context where we're feeling the weight of these things, I saw, oh, the problem is really more complex than I thought. Mm. And so as time goes on, it's just, uh, all right, but I'm I'm not going to quit. Let's sit. Let's talk. Let's change. Like, yeah. let let's bring change. And I can remember it was like, yeah, and we don't have time to rehash, but- you get to a point where you bring up major things, and what you hear is this that's good, bro. I'm with you, just not yet.
2: Mm. All right, look,
0: mm. not yet. All right, look, 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 we've just got to wait until the right time. Let's do the small thing that we can do, and then we'll build up. And yeah, and, mm. and so you hear, not yet, not yet, not yet. So, you know, fail to denounce the alt not yet. All mm. right, but there are things that we can do. Mike Pence comes through, all right, hey, not Mm -hmm. yet, right? Mike Brown gets not yet, and all of these things take place. And then it was like the summer of 2020, that was when it was clear to me. Granted, there were a lot of guys that it was clear to them prior to this, so I don't want to be couched as the pioneer or Mm -hmm. uh, Moses that led folks out, that's not me. 2020, uh, when the summer of 2020 hit, And I find people say, yeah, yeah, not yet. Mm. And I'm saying, no, no, this is yet. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yet (laughs) is now. A yet, this is yet. And so I'm saying, oh, if you're saying not yet, uh, I really think that, yeah, the best of y'all maybe Mm -hmm. might be naively optimistic and you do think there's a better time. Yeah. But I do think that the worst of y'all are being deceptive and cowardice is masquerading as kindness. And this not yet is really not ever. And that was when I stepped back and I said, oh, hmm. wait a minute. Yeah. If the goal is racial justice and hmm. repairing these walls of injustice that were built up by this denomination's mm-hmm. forebearers. Yeah. Right, yeah. That if that's the goal like that's the goal that I'm after and it was just clear and everything I wanted to put my time to was that. And I realized, oh, that's not their goal. Or at least it didn't seem like that's not the thing that leads the way. Yeah. And once that yeah. was clear, I was just like, oh, hey, blessings to y'all, but just let me off the bus. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have to make sure Anybody that got on the bus because I told yeah. them it was a good idea and they trusted me. It's a, for the sake of my integrity. It's, hey, y'all, I just want you to know I thought it was a good idea. Now, right, I mm-hmm. no longer think it's a good idea. If you mm-hmm. want to stay here, then then that's fine. Yeah. Right? But I just want you to know what I think. And I feel like I've earned the right to be able to share what I think. And then yeah, over. for
2: sure. Yeah. 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 So some people might not be up to speed with things that are going on in SBC or, or were last summer. And again, this conversation is not about throwing anybody or anything under the bus. We keep using the bus, the proverbial bus illustration. But to be honest and to be fair, what are some practical things that you were like, it is time for this right now? The, yeah. the, the yet is here. Can you be a little bit more specific okay. on things that you, you would have
0: hoped you would have seen? I'll, I'll give you a specific thing. In 2017, there was a group of black leaders primarily that were brought to Atlanta to talk about change and things that could take place in the SBC. And so folks throw out things from, hey, curriculum, hey, let's start groups to talk about race. Let's, this is, this is. I mean, a group of guys sat at a table and we said, we need to change the name of the Southern Baptist.
2: Community. I remember this, yep.
0: And we said, Southern was not. Yep. A geographical term, it was theological, sociological, and ideological, Yeah. and we think that there needs to be a conversation about this at the national level, let's really talk and reckon with art, mm-hmm. history. And we were sitting at the table with a group of folks, and when we presented it, the prevailing notion was, hey, I get it, but it's not likely to pass, right? It's going to get shot. It's going to fail. Let's work on the things that we know that we can succeed at. Mm. And from that point, it was like, we just shared. No, no, wait, wait, wait. I know that it's not going to pass. Yeah. But Mm. I think bringing it up now Mm. makes it a national conversation, right? It makes it the prevailing conversation for our denomination. And it was like, Not yet. I don't think we're Mm. ready. And so that was a thing where I just felt like, ah, that's rough. And it just felt like, it kind of felt like there was major change that had to take place. And I just felt, I constantly felt like, and again, right, this is somebody on the outside. I wasn't in any official position of leadership. I don't know all the weight or whatever, all that stuff that comes with it. I just felt like everybody was trying to bring these like major changes by these like by these moderate little steps. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought the problem is too big Mm. for us to try to baby step our way through, right? Somebody's going to have to put something on the line. And I felt like, yeah, I just didn't feel as if some of the people that, I was following. Mm. Yeah. 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 You
2: you listed four reasons that were just so right on, man. Like I read them, I guess it was a year ago that you actually released this thing. Mm -hmm. And then rereading it again before this interview, one one of the things that popped out to me was I think what you're talking about, the difference between obligation or it being optional. You know, for for racial repair, is it obligation or is it optional? Can you talk about the tension that you felt in that?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's this type of thing where it's like, I felt like whenever you talked about racial justice, folks were like, oh yeah, no, no, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah we can do that, right? You yeah. preach the gospel, we give the missions, we do all that stuff. And then if we've got time left over, then yeah, that's fine, that's a great hobby, right? It was kind of viewed, I think sometimes in the lens of a stamp collection, like, yeah, no, 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 go to work, get all your schoolwork done and do that. And then if you have time, I mean, you can do that.
2: Hmm.
0: Whereas I felt that it's like, nah, I think if we actually reckon with our history as a convention that there should be a weight of some sense of obligation. That as we look at the racial disrepair that we have in our country, it's not like the Southern Baptist Convention historically like just hung around with bad conventions and got influenced in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like now, nah, when this brick wall was being built up, it's like, nah, they they were some of the architects, and so I do feel like there is this sense of, no, no listen, there's grace at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. We all, yeah, Christ, uh, we're forgiven. But now, what we can do is we can go back and say, all right, look, this is what they've done, right, and this is what you see in First Kings that doesn't take place, right. Mm-hmm the kings come up and it's going to say, yeah, they came up, some of them led the people to obey God's law, blah, 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 but then they're going to bring up and say, but they didn't tear down the high places that their ancestors put mm,
2: up. Man.
0: So you kind of see this indictment that it's like, no, no, yeah. no, they tried to do good presently and for the future, but they refused to go back in a tear down. Tear down. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: I feel like that what you have been experienced for those however long years it led up to you know that that moment in 2020 when you said okay not now I, I got to get off this bus because I don't right. know when now is coming. We're still seeing so much of that tension I mean there's 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 tension over critical race theory within our churches. And even saying the word, everyone just gets sweaty armpits because they're like, oh my gosh, what are you going to do? Gosh. And, but, but some of that within that is what you're talking about. This, your reason number one in your article was this destructive nature of a disremembered history. Yeah. And I think that is such a, a, it's a disservice to our communities when we don't want to remember history as it was. Yeah. I mean, right here in the state of Texas, we've got a law up right now with legislation of, We're not going to talk about the KKK or anything like that in our schools anymore. And I'm like, "Uh, hold up, this is this is not how we move forward. But that was a problem for you, and so I I would just love for you to kind of talk a little bit, like, why is that such a value? Yeah, why is that so important? Even as you're reading what you did in First Kings, and for saying, why is it such a value? For us to remember history and then acknowledge it and then repent from it
0: yeah, and tear down the stuff yeah yeah so so it's like like john dewey says the problem well defined is a problem half solved right mm-hmm. and i think when we don't remember history we tend to wrongly define the problems so the solutions don't really meet this like need and i get it there's shame when it comes mm-hmm. to remembering mm. what we've done in the past. Mm. This is where it's like, I right, if anybody should be able to remember the past and to work through that shame and to show people what can take place, like with shame that's been remembered, dealt with, left at the foot of the cross, like. Our pasts aren't disqualifiers from us being able to do what we need to do. They're actually the very platform that God wants to use. And that's where it's like to disremember our history just kind of feels like like we're trying to move forward, but we're actually cutting our legs from underneath us. Like this is the way that God's gonna help us to move forward. So you go throughout the scriptures, right? And one of the things that you see is this, right? Anybody that ever comes and says, man, I just don't get how God can love somebody like me. I mean, look mm-hmm. at all the people in the Bible. And I say, no, no, yeah, look at all the people in the right. Bible. Their histories are recorded. When you say, I don't know how God can love somebody like me. Yeah. Then what I can do is say, no, no, look, God only loves mm-hmm. folks mm-hmm. like that, right? Yeah, or, yeah. Or are you? have you been an adulterer, right? <laughs> Let me tell you about this cat Abraham, right? Mm. Yo, have you ever been so scared that you've been willing to, you know, sell your wife and your child, right? <laughs> like the stuff that it records is just brutal, but it's meant to show, like, man, look at the raw material that God starts with, and look at what He can do, right? And for me, it's not like shade; it's more of a like wanting more, saying, mm. "Look." Our world, our country does not know how to deal with this race thing. By God's grace, there there is a denomination that's a billion dollar organization today
2: mm-hmm.
0: because of slavery. And while everybody else is fighting over how it is that we can do these things, right? What would it look like if this denomination that had the history that it did say, look, We're going to champion repairing not just the relationships in the church between black and whites, but we're going to champion for the sake of the gospel, trying to undo some of the effects of our ancestors. Mm. Right, like Titus said. Right, like being zealous to devote ourselves to good works. Yeah, and this is what I'm saying. If Like you look at the past year and one of the things that you see, which is unfortunate, is you see every major media outlet has their eyes on the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm. Everybody's writing about what they're doing. And if somebody says, hey, I'm not even going to be biased. If they say, I just want to report on the facts. Mm. If they just report on the facts, then what they say is fighting. Mm -hmm. There's infight, right? Those are the facts. I'm not saying who's right or wrong, fighting. And what I'm saying is, man, if the whole world, if their eyes are already on there and the denomination was unified around a goal of repairing racial injustice, and now there's solidarity, right? Now you have both black and white working together to undo some of that stuff. And somebody says, I'm just going to report the facts. They would look and say, man, I don't know. The rest of the world is fighting. They can't seem to get it together. But one of the things that I do see is them like working together for this. And people would say, well, how did that take place? How could that take place? This was a denomination that started with white folks subjecting these black folks. And now these white folks and black folks are working together hand in hand, right? People are like Hebrews. 10 says, they're willingly giving of their riches and their wealth to do all of this stuff. What on earth could motivate people who have no obligation to these communities to join hand in hand and to do that after they had such a past? Now, this is Mm -hmm. where the Southern Baptist Convention can stand on that platform of those good works and say, hey, oh, look, Wow, our good works are shining in such a way where we can point to our yeah, father man. in heaven, and I just feel like that would bring such a sense of legitimacy to the message that we want to preach. And I just kind of feel like, man, yeah. Well, I, it's 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 hard. It just feels like, oh my goodness, the red carpet is laid there. The cameras it, are it, on. It's there. And I think my heart is just broken. Not because of any particular injustice that's been done to, to me, right? That's par for the course. My heart is broken because it's like, dang, like, mm. there's an opportunity that's squandered yeah. and mm-hmm. I just wish that somebody or a, a group of folks would yeah, put their neck out on the line and yeah. lead yeah. You know, towards that future.
2: Man, that's so well said. And people listening to this podcast can't see me and Jamie nodding our heads the whole time, but but we are. I'm gonna have a like a neck spasm here in a minute. Um, it's so good, man. And you mentioned, you know, some of the injustice that that you you have felt and, and the criticism and all that kind of stuff. And you know, we see this thing called cancel culture. And sometimes we think cancel culture is only like in mainstream world, but it's so crept into every part, including Christianity. And you know, Jamie. W- we were in a Washington Post article Mm -hmm. and had mentioned some things about critical race theory and the Southern Baptist Convention and things like that. And really not in like a, we're going to take a stand and we're going to speak out against something, but just by some of those words being used, Mm -hmm. Jamie had three SBC events cancel her on that week. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, you know, you said a lot of very pointed things and very thoughtful things. What did that look like for you? What did, the, what did that cancel culture look like for you?
0: What was the response? Yeah, this is what I'm saying. So there are people that I considered friends. Mm. And it's like, yo, a year later, it's like, yo, I ain't saying nothing about like you, mm-hmm. but it's like uh, a year later, it's like, you you can't return my call, like no mm. return text. Like I thought that we were friends. Wow. So that's hurtful, but also, so when I saw, is I'm saying all this stuff, and I think it resonated so deeply with people because people are feeling all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I just said mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. Yep. But I think there's a reason why, like, so everybody that's in the denomination doesn't agree with what went on there, right? Yeah. When I put the thing out, there were a bunch of people that reached out to me privately. And was like, yo, mm. all of that was right on. I mm. agree. However, this is gonna be the extent to which I can say that I agree, right? Mm-hmm. Because I mm. know there's gonna be repercussions, right? There's a mm. reason I I think why we don't see healthy public disagreement, which is a good thing for it an is. organization to have. Yep. And and I, I think it's like that, like so it's like I know y'all I know what y'all have done. I read the article and it's the type of thing where it's like, no, like we can just be honest, can't we? And so that's what I thought. And I realized, no, 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 you can't. If you could be honest, and again, it's not to throw shade, you know, Russell Moore would still be a part yeah. of the SBC, right? Yeah. Like Beth Moore would still Beth be more part of the SBC. Mm-hmm these are not people that have been mean-spirited. These are not people that have been contentious, quarrelsome. Right. These are people that have endured a bunch of attacks and have not reviled in return, right? And I use them because that's not my testimony. And I'm just like, man, like, why can't... <sighs> yo, yo, it's so strange, right? It and is. I yeah, yeah how is it that people that push back can be kind but honest and stern kind and candid and are disinvited mm-hmm. and people that mm. are yeah mean and yeah yeah misrepresent folks or just like downright mean spirited mm-hmm. can be a leader uh, yeah And yeah, so that's just where it's like puzzling.
2: Man, you you said something that like literally stopped me in my tracks when I was reading. You said, who is more comfortable in the Southern Baptist Convention denomination, a closet racist or a black man who openly cares about seeing racism attacked with the full force of the gospel?
0: And so this is what I'm saying. i So I said that a year ago. And it's the type of thing where it's like, oh, listen, look, look at the past year. The answer is evident, right? It's evident for anybody who wants to be honest. And that's just where it's like, we've seen how things have gone. And it's just desperately like wanting people to be honest. And what I found is. Where you don't have, yeah, where you don't have that, it's,
2: mm.
0: it's just a matter of time until things implode and, yeah I, yeah, I don't want that to be the case.
2: We definitely want to turn the page and get to this new destination you're on. I yeah. love that.
1: Well, yeah. in, in the article that we've been referencing a lot, and we'll put this in the show notes for you guys to read if you didn't see it, but, but Aaron read at the beginning about like, you know, that you can't take the bus to Puerto Rico and so- <laughs> You're 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 saying like I, I'm I'm just getting off of this bus. I'm getting on a new mode of transportation. And so, what is taking that analogy? What does that mean for you and your church and your people and right. and where are you headed?
0: Yeah, yeah. This is what I love, right? And, so, and, yeah. and I'm
1: going to come visit your boat because you come
0: know, I, 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 yeah, okay, it's cool. <laughs> come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. Sometimes, like those of us that find ourselves in a, in these evangelical circles, right, the the gravitational force is so strong that we operate or we live as if like this is the sun huh. and we orbit around all of this, right? So it it has been the type of thing where it's like I've learned in the course of the past few years what, what I do, what I love to do is I love to build things, right? To help people build things, to launch things and to yeah. move on. So my work is primarily in construction, but in the course of the past year, since I left the SBC and kind of being a part of these predominantly white institutions are the sun around which people understand Christianity. Even though my work is in construction, they they view me as uh, demolitionalist er, mm. So it's like I'm referenced not in terms of what I'm building but in what i left, right? So it's like if you you have a map, there's a map key that helps you yeah. Mm. orient how you should read this map. Which way is up and down? Yeah. And i feel like so much of white evangelicalism sometimes is like there's an orientation where anybody that doesn't go towards what's seen as successful and goes away, they're viewed as somebody that's withdrawing hmm. and not somebody that's there, right? Like When the children of Israel left Egypt, it wasn't just about them leaving a place, they were headed to a destination. Right. So that's where it's like, I'm excited because being out of that orbit, you just really start to see, oh my goodness, there's so many conversations Uh, that that we aren't having. And there's Mm. so much opportunity for us to do. So much good, right? So it's like, hey, I'm a black man that lives in a predominantly black community in a black city. And in the course of the past year, as I've pulled away, one of the things that I've seen is like, man, I spent so much of my brain power trying to nuance and word things right and mm. make people feel comfortable and talk that I didn't realize how much of that brain power was needed to really understand the nature of the problems here. So here's what you'll find, right? There's lots of people that are going to nuance and talk about critical race theory and all that, and it's like, I get it, right? That's fine. But it's like, now that that's not my world, Mm. what I found is like, oh, no, no, we're on the tail end of a pandemic. I live in a community where there are a lot of single parent households and these single parent households don't have means, right? Mm. So in Buckhead and in spots like that, what you found is that in the pandemic, those students had the accountability and they still went to school online. When they didn't get things online, they had the means to get tutors. Mm. So as this year comes up, they are still on pace. Where we are, hmm. it it's going to take kids here an extra yeah. 9 or 12 months yeah. just to catch up. And so what I'm saying is, oh, man, like we've got to think through things like that. What types of things can we do to help? And so seeing all of those problems, seeing, man, there's not really a place where they can gather a potential for them to do that, here's one thing that we did as a church. Right? We had a church building that we bought, that we had, it was sanctuary and pews in it. We couldn't, it's a big space but we just can't use it for anything other than Sunday service because there are pews in it. Yeah. And so we said, yo, let's invest and let's take out the pews and let's put chairs so that we can use this space for more than just that. Let's talk to our friends. Raising Expectations, Tangi and Maria, Yeah, let's talk about the things that they're starting to do with kids to help them get back on track, and let's be right creative about ways that we can help solve these needs, and listen, we're not abandoning the gospel, we're not totally. replacing our yeah. Sunday service with tutoring sessions, we're just yeah. saying, oh, no, no, Monday to Friday the lights are actually off and we don't use this at all and we've got an opportunity to do good, so let's do that. And you just find that there's so much more brain space to think proactively Man, you aren't trying to spend your time to defend. So... I
1: hear you saying is, when you were removed from having to explain everything a thousand times and explain your motives and explain what you were saying and explain history and explain and explain and nuance and nuance, Yes. On the other side of that, you're like, look what I get to do. I can turn my trip Ministry. building into a tutoring center. Gospel.
0: Oh, yo, Jamie, Aaron, let me, th- <laughs> history too, right? So this is one that I'm really thrilled about. On the other side of where we were, like what I found is that I was spending so much of my time doing history on my back leg
2: mm. as
0: an apologetic, so mm. you're these claims. And you've got to dig into history, not to find solutions to the actual problems that are on your front doorstep, but I've got to dig into it to create an apologetic for why I even want to do what I want to do. And so with all the work that I do, all it does is answer opponents that aren't really trying to find an answer anyways. And so what I said is, oh, no, no, hey, I get it. Y'all don't understand. Y'all don't like what we do. That is fine. I don't fancy you as somebody that's ever gonna make their way to the West End. So Uh what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do history on my front foot and now I'm gonna look towards what that looks like to empower and inspire the community that we're a part of. I dig in and look for evidences of God's grace and now I bring that out to the forefront and help folks in our context see, no listen, God's been with us through mm. all of mm. this. There mm. are ways that we can shine and I want you to see, right? that. And it, and it was like that was what birthed Portrait Coffee, right? Mm-hmm. An extension of that. And it's like, no, 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 let's talk about the good. Let's help inspire folks. Let's help to change the economic trajectory of the community that we're in. Let's bring an industry yeah. to an opportunity desert and you just see like a difference, right? Mm. The difference has been we were spending our time answering questions to opponents and the people that lived in our context, they would eavesdrop into the conversation and they would say, I don't really get it. Mm. Y'all do your thing and they themselves. Mm. And now we're like, oh no, no, What do you need? We're talking to you. You're the thing. And they're saying, yo, this is great. Tell me more about this guy that you serve. And so what I'm saying is, oh, yo, this is is fantastic and it. And what we've done is we've said, hey, listen, we were grateful for the potential that existed in this past group of all the money and the resources that we could use to do gospel work, we just could never trickle it down to the neglected communities that we had. So let's start our own thing. And me and a group of folks, just a great team who all had that same burden presented that and the Crete Collective is a group that just aims at, oh, look, look, look. we are a diverse group, black churches, white churches that, that say, hey, we want to help plant the gospel in neglected black and brown communities. Mm. Come on. And what what I'm saying is, man, it was an idea before Thanksgiving with a few tweets. We just talked and mm. launched. Mm. And now this fall, it, people gave, and now we're like, oh, look, there's mm. three church planners that are going to go into communities where they're not gonna see the same return on investment quick. Yeah. and we get a chance just to give them resources to be able to do that. Mm. And we're saying, yo, this is success for us. Like, mm. yeah. We're glad yeah. that we get to yeah, do a little bit and see God work.
2: I love that so much, man. I love yeah. it so much. I so respect that. And we believe in in you, man. We believe in the voice God's given you, the way that he's wired you to see the world around you and man, are just really grateful. Grateful to know you. And uh, we'll put in the show notes uh, links to all of the the teams, all the organizations you've been talking about so people can read up on that. But man, I just want you to know, Jamie and I, we love you. We're for you, dude. So thankful for you. Thanks for sharing your story and your heart with us.
0: Yeah. Grateful for y'all as well, man. I can't wait to come hang with y'all this fall.
2: Let's go! Man, I so appreciated John's openness and his willingness to talk about something that I know we all know had to have been incredibly difficult for his family and for his church. But one of the things that I love the most about John's story is to see what it's actually looked like for him and his church being now on the other side of that really difficult season that he had to navigate through. I love that they have such an eagerness to see the hope of the gospel restore in his own city and his own church, just a sense of family and dignity and hope to their neighborhood through the local church filled up with just ordinary people.
1: I too love that about John. And in this conversation, uh, the three of us, we talk about even some difficulties that we've experienced with the Southern Baptist Convention. And I think one of my favorite thing that you guys as listeners don't even know about is when we talked to John and we asked, hey, can we talk about this? He was like, sure, 100%. As long as we talk about where we're going, as long as we talk about the future. And I loved that so much about him.
2: You know, in this culture we live in, there's something called cancel culture. And most of us realize what that looks like and what that means. And I love that John, even though in many senses, he experienced cancel culture coming to his front door. I love that John has made a decision and he's made a determination not to cancel people and to still listen and to lean in Even when he made a difficult decision like this, I love that his heart is not to throw anybody under the bus, not to speak negatively and just be overly critical, but to be honest. It's okay. We can be honest and we can see things and criticize things in the world while still being filled with hope and love. And that's one of my favorite things about Pastor Jono.
1: You guys, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with John and Aaron and I of On the Other Side of the SBC. There's some articles linked here and John mentions the organization that he's working alongside. All of those links are gonna be in the show notes. So check those out. Guys, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can hear all of the episodes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's show was mixed and edited by Aaron Campbell. Show notes were written by Abby Castell. Show graphics and videos were made by Rachel Ray and the show's produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Please share this show with a friend if you loved it. It's how most people find out about podcasts. Thank you for listening to On the Other Side with Jamie and Aaron Ivy.